So here's the good news. God has a way for us to be a family because sometimes it's not the happiest home. First of all, I am glad to be back home. I was traveling and uh, we had our Foursquare convention. And so uh, I was gone for about a week and a half. And and just coming home is so good to be home. I do want to say thank you to Pastor Alex who was able to speak last week and, and deliver the Word of God in the series that we're going through. So can we thank Pastor Alex for speaking last week? Beautiful job. The bugger still get him. So I'm, I'm so thankful that he's able to do things like that. And then for the staff and you as volunteers, the church, uh, nothing like home. And I, I miss everyone. You know, it's, it's, it's good to drive into the drive-in and, and just be so excited to come to church. Because this is my church too. If I wasn't the senior pastor, this is where I would go. That's why I'm still here because this is where I would go. Just can't get rid of me here. I, I love the people and, and just what God is doing here. And, and I'm so excited, uh, especially in this series that we're going through. I'm, I'm hearing great reports about the family and, and how we're all trying to work on certain things as individuals. And the neat thing is that God designed us in a certain way to function together in this thing called family. We've got to remember it wasn't our idea. It was God's idea when it comes to the family. He designed it in a specific way. And since the fall of man, since the sin that came into man, we've ever since then tried to create our own version of family. We tried to make family what we would want it to be, how we felt it would need to be, and and how we would want it done other than the ways of God. Only to find out that even in that kind of way, it malfunctions and it starts to deteriorate because we're not doing it God's way. And the malfunction is not in the design of family, but it's in our inability to follow the ways of the Lord. And so God wants to bring us back to the design for family. Now, you may be in this series and you're thinking, wait a minute, but I'm not married. I'm a single person and, and uh, I, I, don't, I can't relate to the, the wife or, or as the husband. I, I can't. I don't have children, so I can't relate as a parent. But this morning, you will be able to because God designed every single one of us to function in a certain way. So even as a single person, you'll be able to receive because you're not singled out. You're included in God's family. And you have people who surround you every single day. And so the principles of God are unchanging. They are always the same and they're always proven and they can always be applied in our lives. So even though we'll be talking about the family and God's design for family, you're a part of a family too. Whether you have brothers or sisters or parents or maybe they're no longer with you, but you still have God's family. You still have people who surround you. So don't check out and say, well, it doesn't apply to me. No, it applies to every single person today. We're all designed by God to function in a specific way. And once we're outside of that design for how God designed us as a husband or as a wife, even as a single person, as a child, as a parent, then things start to fall apart. I was given uh, some time ago a free car. Someone gave me a car and it worked well. It it was good. It ran. It It was in running condition. The problem with it was the thermostat for the fan to kick on to cool down the uh, radiator wasn't working. And so I checked out on how much it would cost to fix that and it was too expensive. So I thought, I'm just going to bypass that, run a wire to the battery and to a toggle switch on the inside. So I just rigged it up and I would just turn on the fan. Problem with that was I forgot to turn off the fan. So my battery died, but the fan worked. The car was functioning. I could work with it. 
I had another car that was given to me that the gas gauge wasn't working, but the odometer was working. So I would just estimate how many miles per gallon I could get. Then I would see when it gets, when I drive 200 miles, I need to refill. Problem is someone accidentally reset it. I forgot. And then I ran out of gas, but my car was functioning. It was broken, but I could still function with it. And I had another car and this car was, uh, was, 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 it's one of those cars that only you know how to drive. The ignition was so bad, you didn't need a key for it. You could just put in any key, house key, any key, monkey, it would work. And I would just turn it and it was fine. Uh, although it was broken, I could still function with it. The door handle on the outside was broken, so I couldn't get into the car unless I held it in a certain angle and then pushed it and then, you know, finagled it a little bit. Then the door would open. Then I thought, ah, that's not working. So I just locked the door and I kept my triangle window open. You know that small window? So you can just push the window open, stick your arm in, and then open the car. That worked well for me and for thieves because they broke into my car and stole some things. But the car was functioning. It was, it was working. It was running. I could function with a broken car. See, the problem with that is we learn to function with things that are broken. Some of you have broken phones. It functions. You can't see the screen, but you can call. Uh, the screen is cracked, but you can still dial. You can still swipe with it. It's broken, but you can still function with it. Some of you have really old phones. It's broken, but it pays. It, it, it's cheap, so you don't need to fix it, and you're good with it. Some of us, we have broken slippers. We get duct tape, paper clip, whatever we need to do. When they said use the bread. You know that bread tab thingy? You put that on your slipper, you're ready to go. And I thought, we just live with broken things. You break your, your, your shoes for the women. You break them and you just go buy another one. We, we learn to live with whatever's broken. You break your shorts. Oh, break your shorts. You have a hole in your shorts. You grab duct tape. You tape them and you're fine. You're ready to go. It's like we, we, we learn to live with what's broken. Your gas stove, your stove at home, it's broken, but you learn to live with it. Your microwave door is broken. You stick the rice paddle inside, it still works. You, you do whatever needs to be done for it to work. Eyeglasses, broken. Tape them together, glue it. Whatever you got to do, it works. One lens is good, the other lens not good. You bring them two together, they work. You do whatever needs to be done for it to work. That's how we deal with things. Something's broken. We don't fix it, we deal with it and we just live with it. And you know what is sad about that? We actually bring that into our families. We have broken relationship, broken families and we still live with it like that because it's too expensive to fix what's broken. And we figure we can, we're surviving as a family. We're functioning as a family but we never fix what's broken because it's too expensive and too time consuming. But did you know that when we say to God, but your way is the best way, the way you designed us is the best way, and we work on that, we actually save time. And we make for a better life and a better family, a better future, because we're doing things God's way. See, we've become a society that functions unbroken. We learn to deal with it, and then we just do what needs to be done to make it work. The problem with that is, we don't see it as important enough to fix, so we never fix it at all. Sometimes we need to find out what's the most important thing for us to work on and concentrate on that, then everything else will fall into place. Many of us have uh, iPhones uh, as, a, as a 
you know, your communication gadget. But in an interview with Steve Jobs when he was alive, he was talking about the, the creation and the design behind the iPhone that it wasn't the iPhone that they were designing first. It was actually the iPad. Some of you guys use it. I use that. And, and you can use the screen. It's a touch screen. And, and they were focusing on the iPad. But what they found out was the most important thing we needed as a, as a society was something that could help us communicate rather than do work. That communication was far more important than the iPad. And so they put the iPad on the shelf and brought the iPhone forward and focused primarily on that. And then when they got that down, then they brought in the iPad. And I thought, Lord, what's most important to me? What is, what is important to me enough that I will bring it at the forefront, and then what's not as important, I'll just put it on the shelf for now. And I can concentrate on that later. I think for Heidi and I, because our kids are grown up, our, our youngest son is in college now, everything was about the kids, you know, setting them up well. But then now we can bring in the season where we can focus on what God is doing in us together. And it started a while back, but there comes a season where we got to ask ourselves, what is the most important thing I need to work on today? Is it my time with my children? Is it time with my spouse? Is it, is it really deep, uh, digging deep into the Word of God? Is it, is it my relationship with the Lord? What is of most importance right now? Because if there is something that's very important on the shelf that should be at the forefront, then we're going to die as a family. We can ask ourselves, what's more important right now? Is it my career or is it the well-being of my family? Is it, is it me being right or is it my relationships? What is the most important thing that you feel that God would say, this is what you need to focus on? And if you look at the family, whatever situation you're in, a single life, married life, the dating scene, what we need to do is, is find out what we need to put on the shelf for now and then... Focus on what's really important. Here's what the Bible says, and, and you can take out your notes from your bulletin that you're given. Ephesians 5, 15 through 17. I want us to read this together with a, a nice, thunderous, family-oriented voice, okay? Ephesians 5, 15 through 17, and it's up on the screen. And let's read it together. Ready? Go. So be careful how you live. Don't live like ignorant people, but likewise people. Of every opportunity you have, because these are evil days. Don't be fools then, but try to find out what the Lord wants you to do. What are we going to find out? What the Lord wants us to do. This is not what I'm saying. This is what the Lord is saying. He's saying this is, this is what we need to focus on. That we don't have that much time together as a family. So we got to redeem the time. So what we're going to do is find out as individuals what the Lord wants us to do. Not my spouse, not my children, not my parents, but Lord, what do you want me to do? This next scripture, I want us to read this together because this may come as a shocker to you. When I read this scripture some time ago, I thought, wait a minute, I've had it wrong all this time. So I want us to read this together again. Ephesians 5.21, again with a loud, thunderous family-oriented voice, okay? And it should be on the screen about now. It should be up on the screen. If not, you have your notes, but we're going to read it together on the screen about now. 
our next scripture. There it is. Hallelujah. Okay. Sorry, that was my falsetto voice. Ephesians 5.21. Ready? Go. And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Here's what I always thought. I always thought my wife was supposed to submit to me. I thought my children were... Somebody laughed on that one. My my children were supposed to... uh, (laughs) I I so want to say something, and I'm going to. That wasn't a laugh. I was like, you're kidding me. So... We think it's our children. Everybody else is supposed to submit to me as the dad, as the husband, as the father. But the Bible says, no, we're supposed to submit to one another. And you know what it's saying? It's saying we're, we're there to submit to one another out of, not duty, out of what? Reverence for Christ. We submit to one another, not under one another. We submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. In other words, when I'm submissive to others, I'm honoring Christ. I'm not lording my authority over people. I'm not saying I'm I'm the king of the castle. He's the king of our castle. It's because of Jesus we can function as a family. So I know it may be a a strike to our our pride as men or our ego or uh, how we feel about men, but it's biblical that we're not to lord our authority over our family. We're to submit to one another. That doesn't mean you're any less because the Bible, as we continue on, it does give us our design and how we're supposed to function. But I wanted to start that way because when it says submit yourselves to one another out of reverence for Christ, you will find a big difference when you're submissive to one another out of your reverence for Christ, out of your respect for Jesus. Because when we're respecting Jesus, when we're honoring Jesus, then he honors us and our family. He honors us as a father in our family. You won't need to be the king of your castle. You won't need to make yourself in authority. Your children, your wife will respect you. Why? Because they have reverence for Christ also. So you don't have to lord anything over anyone. There's only one Lord and that's Jesus Christ. And out of our reverence for him, now we get to be submissive to one another. So the first thing is to do what I'm designed to do. It's plain and simple. That's what the Bible is trying to say. Just do what you're designed to do. We're designed to worship God. And out of our reverence for Jesus Christ, that's, why, that's how we can become submissive to one another. Now, we all have individual roles. And in Ephesians 5.22, I want to read just how God designed us as a family and as people. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. But I'm going to read from Ephesians 5, verse 22 to Ephesians 6, about verse 4. And it helps us with the design of the way God called us to function as, as each individual in the family. Ephesians 5.22, and it says this, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Now, we can look at that and say, wait a minute, I thought we were supposed to submit to one another. Now it's saying, wives, submit to your own husbands. Yeah, but it's saying, as unto the Lord. Again, everything goes back to the Lord. And it says, submit to your own husbands. And I thought, why would Paul... Talk about submitting to your own husbands as unto the Lord. What does that have to do with it? Or what happens from time to time is that as wives, you're more respectful to other people's husbands, not in a flirtatious way or some kind of illicit affair or some kind of evil way or lustful way, but it's just common courtesy. 
Like if you're at a party or something or get, uh, some get-together or a, a, a birthday party and, and let's just say your sister's husband said, oh, did you see my keys? Oh, yeah, it's right there on the counter. But if your husband asked you, hey, where's my keys? Well, I got to find your keys. <laughs> it's different. And what Paul is saying is you're, you're kind to other people's husbands. That's how you're supposed to be with your own husband. Like if you ask your wife one question, honey, did you see my shoes? That's your shoes. Where are you going to put them? And it's not always like that, but that's what Paul is referring to. You ask them two questions, too much stress already. He's saying, you, you as wives, watch how you treat other people's husbands. And if you're treating them better than your own husband, there's something you need to fix. There's something there. And we don't even realize it, but we do that. And so what, what Paul is saying is it, it comes out of your reverence to the Lord, that you're saying to the Lord, I'm going to submit to my own husband as unto you. In other words, I'm going to treat my husband like how I want to treat you. That I'm going to honor you through my husband. And then Paul continues. He says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Now, I've never seen a wife have a problem with being submissive to her own husband when a husband loves their wives just as Christ also loved the church. And he gave himself for her. That he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to... Kind of long, eh, Paul? You're talking about husbands. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. And I thought, wait, 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 Paul, you said, wives submit to your own husbands as unto the Lord, but you said husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. Why not as how we love the Lord? And he said, because he who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. Now, I'm sure there was a season in every single man's life that you looked good in the mirror and you'd pose in front of the mirror and you loved the way your body looked. And for some reason, even though as we get older, no matter what we look like, we still look good for some reason to ourselves. <laughs> and what Paul is saying is it's, it's in you to have that capability, but it's not for you. It was never designed for you. It was designed for your wife that you see her better than how you see yourself. Now, when you look at yourself and you see all the good things, that that's what you're going to look at in your wife, that you're going to love her like how you love yourself, but even better. And then it continues. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So Paul is saying as a people, we've got to remember it, it, it's really about Christ and the church, us as people, whether you're married or single. He's saying it's really between you and Christ. When we have reverence for him, when we're lifting him up, and we're respecting his name, then we can respect other people because we're doing that through other people to the Lord. The way we treat one another in our families, the way we treat our children. And then he continues with the children. He says, okay, children, 
Obey your parents in the Lord. Notice now, Paul is connecting it always back to the Lord, which sometimes I think we forget to do. We just say to our kids, you need to listen because I'm your dad, because I'm your mom. No, no, no. We need to listen to the Lord in how we parent our children. And when we do that, then the children are obeying us as unto the Lord. Because we're speaking what Jesus would speak. We're speaking godly principles. We're speaking what God would speak. So when the children are obeying our words, it's not our words, it's God's words. When they're obeying the words we're saying that come from God, they're really obeying the Lord. So that's why he continues and he says, For this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. You know what I like about that is when he says, it comes with a promise. That the promise is that you will have a a wonderful life ahead. And because you're being obedient to your parents, you're going to live a long, prosperous life. You're going to have a good life. And it's interesting in our world today, very rarely do we see, even on television, the push for children to obey their parents. You watch any sitcom today on TV, any family show, there's so much disrespect coming from the children to the parents, and we laugh at it. And take it, it's funny, it's a hilarious scene, but it really breaks down the respect from children to parents. It really breaks it down. I looked at the Ten Commandments and, you know, it goes through it in Exodus chapter 20 and it says, you know, I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make idols. Remember the Sabbath day. Honor your father and your mother. And then it says, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false, false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house nor your neighbor's wife or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, his donkey, or, or anything in your neighbor's possession. In other words, don't, don't, in our world today, and in our time today, don't envy all what they have. But I looked at all of that, and I thought, wait a minute. You talked first about our relationship with you in the Ten Commandments, that it was all about you in the first four commandments. And then the very next one... It's honor your father and your mother before murder. He talks about that before murder. It's like God is letting us know what is of value. That, yeah, it's wrong to do these things, but but God is saying, saying to us, I want to get to the core of this. When you honor your parents, you won't really have to worry about the rest. Because you're honoring your parents. God finds delight when we honor our parents. And he says, when you're doing that, your days may be long upon the land in which the Lord, your God, is giving you. See, there's blessing when we honor our parents. It's not a disrespect that we look for. It's an honoring to our parents. Then he concludes in in Ephesians 6.4. He says, and you fathers... Do not provoke your children to wrath, but bringing but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. So we're going to train them up in the ways of God. We're going to admonish them. We're going to warn them about the things of God. We're going to sternly warn them and, and help them along the way and coach them. But he's saying, but don't provoke them to anger. Don't push their buttons to the point where they're angry now at you, because when they get angry at you, they're going to get angry at me, because everything you're doing is unto me. But train them up in the ways of the Lord. 
Admonish them in the ways of the Lord. Correct them how God corrects us with grace and forgiveness, compassion. Sometimes, yeah, I understand. I, I get like that. Our emotions get the best of us. And God says, don't let your emotions control you. Let my spirit move through you. He says, that's how we're designed. Everything goes back to the Lord, how the Lord loves us, how the Lord loves the church. It's not how, you know, uncle so-and-so loves the church. It's not how the pastor loves the church. It's not how you love the church. It's how Christ loved the church and gave himself up for it. He died for us. And God is saying, are you willing to pay the price for someone else in your family? Do you give of yourselves for others or do you take for yourself from others because we have a tendency if we're not careful how we live that we take away joy from others we take away self-esteem from others and we rob them of the joys of the lord we we take away their dreams their passions and the bible is saying be careful how you live be cautious because these things creep into the family creeps into our very own lives And we don't realize, but we start taking rather than being giving to other people. And that's not the way God is with us. He's a giver. He says, you you be just like me to other people. Philippians 1.6, Paul is letting us know that there's never been the slightest doubt in his mind that, that the God who started this great work in you would keep at it and bring it to a flourishing finish on the very day Christ Jesus appears. See, Paul is saying that because many people give up. They'll say, oh boy, it's just so difficult, so I I just give up. But once you have that thought in your mind, go back to what the Word of God says, that God will never give up on us. That That He who started this great work in us will keep at it. He doesn't give up. He, he keeps at it. We may feel like giving up, giving in. Even in a, a heated argument, we may, we may feel like, oh, forget it then. No sense. And then we use the D word. And I know some of us, maybe you've gone through a divorce or you're going through, or you're even contemplating one. And God is saying, I have not given up on you. I'm going to keep at it. For Heidi and I, when we first were saved, uh, when we came to know Jesus Christ, uh, right away we understood, wait a minute, we're not doing things God's way. And the moment we got married, it's like something changed in us. That God did something in us. Because we knew if we wanted God's blessings in our relationship, then we had to do it God's way. He can't bless my relationship if I'm not doing it His way. You can ask for God's blessing, but God will not bless anyone that's not according to His Word. God cannot lie. He's not like a man who can lie or like humans who can lie. He cannot lie. So he cannot go against his own word. And if we're saying, God bless our relationship, but we're doing things that are outside of his will, he just can't. It goes against his very nature and his character. And so we had to work really hard on that. And, and when we got into our marriage, right before we were married, we just went through the season of talking about what marriage would look like. And we said, you know what? Divorce will never be an option. It'll never be an option. The only option we have was to work it out. That's the only option we had. If you go into your marriage, if you're going to get married or you're going to be remarried and you go into your marriage with divorce as an option, don't get married. 
because you will always have that card to play. That should never be an option. When you get into your marriage and you, you start to butt heads with each other and you start to argue and you feel tempted to use that as your, your defensive mechanism, don't. Go back to the Lord and say, Lord, this is, you designed me to function in a certain way. Help me to change. And you'll see God do miracles. You'll see him do great things because you're saying to God, I believe and have no doubt that what you began in me, you're going you're gonna to keep at it and bring it to a flourishing finish on the day when Christ Jesus appears. Heidi and I were talking the other day about growing up and, and how good the Lord has been. And I remember when I, Heidi came to know Jesus Christ before me and she would read her Bible and, and then she would, you know, give me scriptures and, and things like that. And, and I'd be like, oh man, I'm not, not too, you know, comfortable with the Bible thing. I don't know too much about the Bible thing, but I, I was okay with it. And then I received the Lord and then everything changed. And I, I, I look back on from the time she came to know the Lord and to what God is doing in her life today, I am so proud of her that she was able to persevere through all the odds. And no matter what happened in our life, she was always able to continue to move on and move forward because God was in her life. And she kept at it because God never gave up on her. And I thought, Lord, may I be like that? I don't, I don't want to give up because you never give up. I want to continue to move forward because you continue to move forward. You never leave us. You constantly lead us in the right direction. See, I, I, I couldn't see what God was doing in Heidi's life at that time. But now I see that, that he was doing something great. I couldn't see it in the beginning, but now I can understand And you may not be able to understand everything that's happening in your life or your family's life, but God is doing something great and he's keeping at it. So you keep at it. You're designed to function in a certain way and it's God's way. My design as a husband is to partner with God and to bring out the best in other people. As a husband, to bring out the best in Heidi. As a father, to bring out the best in my children. And you're you're designed that way too. As a father, as a mother, as a husband, a wife, a child... You're designed to bring out the best in other people. Philippians 2, 3 and, uh, chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. It says, don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. In other words, don't, don't forget about yourself. Just forget about yourself long enough so you can help someone else. Instead of pushing others down, instead of instead of putting other people down, instead of saying what they're not doing well, instead of criticizing my wife or your husband or your children or your parents, instead of doing that, put yourself on the side long enough so you can help them and encourage them and speak life into them. He said, just long enough so that you can do that. Just think of other family members more than you, and when you do that, it'll count for more a more harmonious home and an environment where, you were in, where you're in. Even at work, or at school, wherever you're in. If you think of others better than yourself, and you're, what you're not doing is putting yourself down, you're just lifting them up. So you don't lose anything. You gain. You see your surroundings change. See, we're creatures of survival. We're creatures who, who we really think about ourselves first. 
Only when we see someone do a heroic thing do we recognize that they made a choice to save that other person. So it's heroic. Why is it heroic? Because they didn't think about themselves. I see heroes everywhere this morning. That you're heroic people because God is going to use you to think of others. And he'll empower you to do that. We're creatures of self. I was at the stoplight the other day and, and I had two semi-trucks in front of me hauling these big trailers and the light turned green for us to turn. And I thought, oh boy, I don't know if I'm going to make it through this light. So I got closer to the trucks and you know, if you, if you drive a semi-truck, you can't just blaze it around the corner. You have to slowly take that turn and, and it was a, a, a narrow street. So they're taking that turn and I'm watching the light. I'm thinking, I'm not sure if I'm going to make it. Now the other two people behind me kind of felt the same. So they got real close to me and to each other. They're like packing in there. And I'm thinking, brother, you better back up. (laughs) Now, as I'm going forward, I'm thinking, oh, the light's going to turn yellow. And they're, I mean, really close to me. So I start to think, you know what? You like come that close to me. I'm going to slow down. (laughs) So I started to slow down. And the moment I did that, I, I, I thought to myself, why are you doing that? And I said, why, why are you doing that? I'm talking to myself. No one's in the car except Jesus. And he was there. And so I said, why, why are you doing that? I'm speaking out loud. I said, why do you have to be like that? And God speaks to me. He says, because you're selfish. I said, what do you mean I'm selfish? He said, yeah, you don't want them to go through the light. So you're slowing down so they don't go through the light so you can make it and hold them back. How do you know these things? And I said, but why am I like that? He said, it's simple. You're selfish. I thought you were loving. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm disciplining you right now. I thought, why, why am I so selfish? He said, because you're not thinking of me. You're thinking of you. But if you think of me first, you'll think of others. Because I think of others more than I thought of myself. I died for every single person that will ever walk on this planet. I died for every single human being that will ever be created. I died for them. I thought of others. So can you, because I live in you and you can do it because it's not going to be your strength. It's going to be me. I thought, boy, I am selfish. We got to work on that. And you know, you're, you're, you're selfish because You'll catch yourself from from moment to moment saying certain things that that are not for other people, but it's for yourself. The other day, Heidi asked me what time it was. And I thought, well, if I tell her it's this time, then it'll be later. Then for her, it'll let her know I need to go to bed. But if I tell her the actual time, then it's like I have more time to stay up. What if she asks me to do something? (laughs) So instead of telling her it's, you know, 8.30... Uh, 8.15, I said, oh, it's 8.30. But I used the word about. It's about 8.30. See, 8.15 is true. 8.30 is being selfish because I'm thinking of myself. But I did tell her it was 8.15. Actually, it was 8.17. She said, what time is it now? And I was about to say 8.30 because all of that was going on in my mind. I said, it is 8.17. And I felt the Lord saying, that was your test. It's in us to be selfish. Honey, what time are you coming home? Oh, about 6. You know you're not coming at 6. You're going to be about 
Honey, where are you right now? Oh, I'm just passing the plaza. No, you're not. You're still in Paradise Park. You're not th- thinking of the other person. Honey, you get money. Ah, oh, no, I no more. I mean, I get, but not for you, but I no more. It's, you're not thinking of the other person. You're thinking of yourself. And it's like automatic. Honey, did you eat dinner? Oh, maybe, maybe. I, don't, I could go on and on. And I thought, if my attitude is like that with complete strangers, it must be far worse at home. And God says, it's all about your attitude because when your attitude is adjusted with me, then I can move in and through you. Someone said it like this, to be honest, the real reason it's so hard to bring up children right is that they insist on imitating their parents. I thought, boy, I got to do better with that. See, here's the second thing, my attitude will determine the effectiveness of my design. My attitude. It does determine the effectiveness of my design. And I want to be effective in who God called me to be. It is said that accepting Jesus into your life, into our lives, is is the most important thing, important decision that you and I will ever make. Accepting Jesus Christ. It's the most important thing we will ever decide on. And it is said that the second most important thing is the attitude in which we follow Jesus Christ. It all comes back to our attitude. Attitude makes a big difference in what we do. If I have a horrible attitude of my design as a father, and I don't like how God designed me as a father, or the functioning of a father, or how I'm supposed to be as a father, or as a husband, then I will have a horrible life. I will have a horrible family because I'm not doing it the way God designed me to be. And I operate outside of his design. As a mother, if you're not okay with how God designed how a mom should be, you're going to have a difficult time. If you're not okay with how God designed you as a child, then you're not going to be honoring to your parents. You'll have a horrible life and it'll it'll be difficult. But when we're okay and we say, God, this is how you designed me in in how to function in the role of my family. Therefore, I'm going to follow your ways. Then it changes your entire environment. How's your attitude as a husband, as a wife, as a father, a mother, a child? Even as a single person, what's your attitude like? Because I think sometimes even for single people, the attitude can sometimes be, God, why is it that my parents always stress getting married? Why is it that when I see people, they always ask me, so how was the date? Why is it that it has to be about marriage or relationships? Have you found anyone yet? Why does people have to say, why do people have to say this? Why can't it be my relationship with you? And I believe that. It should be. Then as a single person, you might be thinking, well, do I have to have a family? Do I have to get married? I see all the other married people. I don't want to get married. So it really comes back to your relationship with the Lord, not your relationship with other people. You go to the Lord first, he'll take care of everything else with other people because that is the most important relationship. It's Jesus Christ. In our family, my question is, how often do I complain? Because that has to do with my attitude. I mean, is, is it the first thing that I come home, I complain? The first thing, you know, maybe my family is waiting for me to come home and, and they're excited that dad is going to come home. I open the door and say, hey, I don't want his shoes on the ground. He has to put away his shoes. I come into the kitchen, oh, you're not cooked dinner yet. I want no more rice. I never go to the store. Go. Who will leave the orange juice? Only get one sip left. Who will leave the orange juice? 
Where's the water? Nobody didn't feel the water. Nobody didn't feel the water. And boy, you never put gas in the car. What, you think the car is going to walk to the gas station? It's the first thing complaining when we enter the home. The dishes, the homework, the, the yard, the mess. Is it the first thing? Now, if that's the first thing, I'd say let's adjust that. Put that on the shelf for a little bit because the most important thing to come home to or to bring into your family is the spirit of the living God. That you come into your family and say, hi, kids, daddy's home. Hi, mom. Hi, dad. Whatever it is. Hi, honey. I'm home. And maybe they'll be like, oh, great. He's home. It's on them, but you're changing. At least you're changing. And now you're shining light into your family. It's okay that they behave like that for a certain while. A certain time period. Because you're the one who's going to shine light. And I tell you, the atmosphere changes. It changes. Here's how the Bible puts it. In Philippians 2, verses 14 and 15. Do everything without what? Complaining and arguing. So that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God. Shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. See, the moment you stop complaining is the moment you start progressing. Complaining only stops the progression of God. He says, do everything without complaining. Complaining is not what I verbalize. It's not the words that I'm speaking. It's an attitude of the heart. Because we can complain in our hearts. We've done that before. We don't say a word, but... What's the matter? What's the matter? Nothing. (laughs) Just throw stuff on the ground. It's, It's in the heart. So it's not really verbalizing something. It's an attitude of the heart. See, complaining darkens my surroundings. That's why we shine as lights. And the Bible is saying you've got to shine as lights. Why? Because otherwise complaining and arguing only darkens our surroundings. See, complaining and arguing stops us from being lights to everyone else. When, when we're in the mainland, uh, because we're you know, going from here to there, we, we use this uh, GPS on my phone. And, and so as we're driving, uh, Heidi's the navigator, I'm the driver, and we miss a turn. And I said, oh, that was a turn. I said, you can't tell me when I turn. I mean, we just passed the turn. You got to tell me earlier. She goes, yeah, but the satellite is lagging. So it's coming up. It's, it's behind. And I said, I said, they should change the name from GPS to like the testing of a marriage. That's what they should name it. <laughs> so I said, so I said this. I said, you know what then? I'll do it myself. And so I picked it up and I'm driving and the cord can't reach. So I unplug the cord and I throw it and it lands on Heidi. Like I threw it and it went. And I quickly grabbed it. I said, sorry about that. Because, you know, it can turn into a. And I was going to say, I never mean to do that. But I never. Just in case. So I'm watching the thing and I'm trying to drive and I'm having a hard time finding the place. And, you know, I'm getting frustrated. Heidi's just looking out the window, just, you know, enjoying the scenery. And now we're driving. Now we're driving to church. So I deal with the same thing you dealt with today, driving to church, arguing, same thing. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm not going to fake it going to church. I'm not going to do that. Not going to go to church and hold hands with Heidi and, and act like everything's all good and smooth. I'm, I'm going to be a man. And I'm going to deal with it right now. So, Lord, I need your help. And I'm driving. 
looking at the thing, and, and I'm so glad that God worked this thing called communication with just thoughts. Because he can talk to us and say, Lord, okay, I'm not going to go into church faking like we're all good. And, oh, I'm a pastor. Oh, you guys are so holy. Look, you guys never argue. No, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go and get my heart right right now. So I need your help. So what do I need to do? We need to just tell her sorry. Okay, well, what does she need to do? <laughs> you need to tell her sorry and ask for forgiveness. <sighs> So we park, and I said, Heidi, I'm so sorry. You know, I got angry, and I got upset, so forgive me. And then we hug, and everything's good. And then we walked, and we went to church, and God spoke profound things. And I'm glad we got it right before I went to church, because otherwise I would be battling with things that would probably stop me from hearing God fully. Because I would be in the mode of complaining and arguing and I thought, Lord, that's what you're after, aren't you? You're, you're after our attitude. That attitude makes all the difference. It determines the effectiveness of my design as a husband. That we got to be the ones that invites the Lord in. Philippians 2.21, it says, All the others care only for themselves and not for what matters to Jesus Christ. If you ever find yourself in a situation where you're complaining or arguing, it's an indication that we're only thinking of ourselves and not Jesus Christ. We're not even thinking of others. But we've got to think about Jesus Christ. Seek the things of Christ, not our own thing. And the last thing, number three, follow the Lord's design for my life, not my own. It's his design. His design is the best. See, I think I'm more like Paul the apostle, not the pastor who has it all together. I, I think I'm more, I relate more to Paul that people will look at Paul the Apostle and say, wow, you're this great guy. People will look at a pastor and say, wow, you must have it all together. And, and wow, you must not struggle with all this stuff. But I, I like what Paul says in Philippians 3, 12 through 14. He says, I'm not saying that I have this all together, that I have made it, but I am well on my way, reaching out for Christ, who has so wondrously reached out for me. Friends, don't get me wrong, by no means do I count myself an expert in all of this, but I've got, I've got my eye on the goal where God is beckoning us onward to Jesus. And I'm off and running, and I am not turning back. As a father, as a, as a person, I don't have it all together. Nobody has it all together. We will never have it all together. Thanks be to God that he has it all together. And when we're focused on Jesus Christ, we can press onward toward the goal of Jesus Christ. Because it's going to be him, not us. It's going to be his strength, not ours. His spirit, not our own. Someone said it like this. You know, the average man has probably thought of running away from home twice in their life. Once as a child, and then once as a husband. And I wonder if that's the same for all of us. We just want to run away from certain things. We want to get away. But God says, no, if you're ever going to run, run to me. Run to me. Because I know how you're designed. Help each other become the very best to achieve the very best. As Philippians 3, 15 and 16 says, so let's keep focused on that goal. Those of us who want everything God has for us. If any of you have something else in mind, something less than total commitment, God will clear your blurred vision. You'll see it yet. Now that we're on the right track, let's stay on it. God knows how we're designed. 
what's best for us, but we've got to choose that. See the bigger picture. And when we do, we won't need to redesign the family because it's working better than any other man-made design for the family because God designed the family perfect as each individual walks after Jesus Christ. And when we do, we not only become a stronger family, but we begin to represent the family of God. And God says, that brings me great glory. Amen. Amen. Close your Bibles, put away your notes, and we're going we're gonna to pray together. I want to remind you that next week is Father's Day and the service times are 7, 9, and 11. It's, it's funny. We'll say that over and over and we'll say it for weeks, but still sometimes we're creatures of habit. We'll show up, but you'll never be late unless you come third service, actually late. But if you do come, we'll, you'll be fine because you always have another service after, but 7, 9, and 11. And at the same time, um, for fathers, you know, Although we joke about the breakfast and we want to honor you in that way, nothing is more honoring when we as dads bring our families. The Bible calls us the head of the household for a reason. It's not to lord it over them, but it's to lead them closer to Jesus Christ. And our prayers that us as dads, as fathers, will step up to take on that role. And many of us already have. And, and we're saying to the Lord, you created me and designed me this way, so I'm going to lead my family well. So do that. Be bold and just invite your children or, you know, your family to church. Now, I know there's some wives here. You're saying, my husband doesn't want to come to church. Pray that God changes his heart. Just pray in a good way. Pray nicely and be encouraging. Because God is doing something special in the fathers. And we already see that happening. Would you pray with me? Let's bow our heads. Lord, thank you for being our Heavenly Father, that you've included us in your family, even with all of our flaws. You put us first before your very own life. And so, Lord, let us do the same today. We want to be more like you. And as we do, the family becomes stronger and stronger. When the family becomes stronger, the world changes because everything starts in the family. It's how you designed it. And your design works the best. In Jesus' name we pray. We all said... Amen.